Good morning again, Calvary. We are currently working through a series in the book of Exodus. And today we will be covering a big section. We'll be looking at Exodus chapter 5 through Exodus chapter 7, verse 7. So we have a lot of ground to cover. I'll try to not talk really fast so you can actually understand what I'm saying. But we got a big chunk, and that's what we'll be looking at today. So I encourage you, open your Bibles to that section right now. It'll be a whole lot easier if you're already there once we get going. If you broke your leg, you would need a cast, and you would probably need a crutch or multiple crutches. You might need two crutches. And to make it through that hardship, you would quite literally need to cling to a crutch or two crutches to get through that. And spiritually, the same is true for us. When we go through trials and hardship, we will want to cling to something or someone. When you go through trials, when you go through hardship, what do you cling to? Do you cling to money? Do you cling to sex? Do you cling to food? What do you cling to when you're going through a trial or hardship? I think most of us know what the good Christian answer would be. We would say, oh, I'll cling to God. I'll cling to His promises. And we should. But often that is so hard to do when you're going through a trial or some kind of hardship. And that is especially challenging when the hardship is coming because you're following Jesus. We'll often encounter hardship because of Jesus. He promised that we will have trouble and tribulation if we follow him. And that can make it even harder to cling to him and God's promises through all that. As we get into Exodus, we'll see something very similar going on with Moses and the Israelites. Moses and Aaron are leading the people, and they're doing what God tells them to do. But then things get harder because of that. And how do they cling to God? How do they cling to his promises? That is sort of the big question that we'll be trying to answer today. How do I cling to God and his promises when life is hard? To answer that big question, we're going to answer, raise and answer three smaller questions about our passage. Number one, what has God promised? Number two, how should we respond to God and his promises? And number three, why does God keep his promises? What has God promised? How should we respond? And then why does God keep his promises? So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll start answering those questions about the passage. Father, give us receptive hearts to hear from you this morning. Use your word to make us more like Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. 
Since our passage is so big, I'm going to start by giving you the David summary of this passage. So, to see where we've been going, God had just recently called Moses, the whole burning bush episode, to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And so now Moses and Aaron as well, they're linked together, will be leading God's people out of Egypt. And what happens in this situation is that Moses and Aaron obey God. They go to Pharaoh and they ask him to let Israel go. And you guys probably know what happens. Pharaoh doesn't like that. Pharaoh resists their request. So Moses obeys, Pharaoh doesn't like it, and then Pharaoh makes things even harder for Israel. He says they now have to make bricks without any straw. And then after that, the foreman, basically the middleman between Egypt and the people of Israel, complain to Moses and Aaron about what has happened. They criticize them. And then Moses responds by praying to God and crying out to God. And he reminds God of his promise. That God, you have promised you will bring your people out, but you haven't done that. Now, how do you think God responds to that? Well, as we're going to see, God responds by reminding Moses of his promise that he's made to the patriarchs and of who he is. God reminds Moses that he will make good on his promise. He will bring them out, out of Egypt. So with that in mind, let's go to the first question. What has God promised? God has promised a great many things. The Bible is filled with God's promises. And yet among those promises, there reigns what I might call a supreme promise. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called it the great central promise of God. And what is that promise? That God would be our God and that we would be his people. That is the great central promise of Scripture. That God would be our God and we would be his people. And we see this in our passage. Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, three through 7. I believe this is the climax of this section of Scripture. And so I'm going to read that, and I want you to pay extra attention to verse 7. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you 
with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This section is filled with covenant language. The word covenant even shows up. But even if the word covenant wasn't in this passage, we would know that's what God's getting at. That language of my people and you will be my people and I will be your God. Remembering his promise to the patriarchs. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. And it is exactly like marriage. Marriage is a covenant with two people making promises to each other, binding themselves to one another. They are promising to be faithful to one another no matter what happens. They are committing to one another. And that's exactly what God is reminding Moses of. He's reminding Moses that I have made promises to you and my people, and I will keep my promises. I will be faithful to you and to the rest of my people. And so if you remember anything from this sermon today, remember this truth. This runs through the whole passage. It's that God keeps his promises to his people. God keeps his promises to his people. Amen. Remember that. That runs through this whole passage. That's what we're looking at. And so now we go back to that big question I had at the beginning. How do we cling to God and his promises? Well, first, we need to actually know God and his promises. We can't cling to God's promises if we don't know those promises. We need to know God, and we need to know his promises. Recently, I've become more and more convinced that the average Christian simply does not read his or her Bible. I think for a long time, I used to just take it for granted that Christians were reading their Bibles. I thought that was just a normal thing you would do. But I'm realizing more and more that's not the norm. That's not the norm. And so I want to encourage you and myself to spend time in God's Word. It doesn't have to be read the Bible in a year plan, but spend time somehow regularly in God's Word. When was the last time you memorized the promise of God? How much scripture do you have memorized at all? When was the last time you even read a promise of God? We will not know God and we will not know his promises unless we spend time in his word. It'll be impossible to cling to God and his promises in trials if we don't know him or his word. Second question. How should we respond to God and his promises? You should know the answer to this because I've already said it 
maybe half a dozen times. We should cling to God and His promises. Right? That's the answer. And yet that's a very hard thing to do. And in fact, there actually are other ways. It's a wrong ways we can respond to God and His promises. What we see in our passage is that there are actually four ways in this passage that we can respond to God and His promises. And only one is the one I want you guys to do. But there are four ways. First, we can do what I call is the, the faithful believer response. The person that actually clings to God and His promises. And we see this with Moses and Aaron. I already mentioned that God has called them to lead the people of Israel. And they do what God says. At the very end of this section of Scripture, there's this small, almost offhand remark that Moses and Aaron did everything that God told them to do. They did it, even though it was very hard. And Moses and Aaron, they clinged to God and His promises. When Moses cries out to God, After these trials, he reminds God of his promises that you promised to bring these people out of Egypt and you haven't done that yet. And God doesn't rebuke him. He reminds him of those promises and who he is. Moses, at this point, has been learning and learned to cling to God and his promises. And we learn that through time and experience And that would be especially true for Moses and Aaron, who were in their 80s. God had sustained them for so long, and if you know the story, he would continue to sustain them for even longer. And the good news for you, church, is that we actually have a promise in Scripture that Moses and Aaron didn't have. We have Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. Hold God to his promises. He will sustain you. He will be faithful. Hold on to that promise. He will carry you and he will bear you. Have you learned to hold God to his promises? Another response we can make to God and His promises is the way Pharaoh responded. I call this the unrepentant, unbeliever response. Pharaoh utterly rejects God and His promises. When Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? And then he makes things even harder for Israel. And what I want you to know, church, is that Even when someone as powerful and as influential as Pharaoh, even when that kind of person opposes God and his people, God's promises are secure. God's promises are not in jeopardy. So it doesn't matter if there is the most powerful political ruler or king of the world opposing God and his church, God will make good on his promises. Because God is the one ruling and reigning. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Pharaoh is about to find that out. Pharaoh is about to get a spiritual spanking from God in these next chapters. Time and time again, 
God is going to show Pharaoh that God is the one ruling and reigning, not him. And so take heart, church. We can know that God's promises and word are secure no matter what. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God will make good on his word. Number three, we can respond to God and his promises like a backsliding believer, is what I'm calling this. And we see that with the four men of Israel, backsliding believers. So these are actually people, part of Israel, but they are the middlemen between Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the people of Israel. They're sort of doing their dirty work. And what we see with the four men is that they actually cling to a false god. And they cling to false promises because they're, they have slid into idolatry. When they talk to Pharaoh, when they talk to Moses, they call themselves servants of Pharaoh. They don't call themselves servants of God. They call themselves servants of Pharaoh. One sign that reveals that this may be you or you may be sliding into idolatry is that when you hit hardship and trials, instead of crying out to God in prayer, you complain to the leaders in the church or the leaders of God's people. And that's exactly what these four men do. They hit hardship and they go right to Moses and Aaron and they complain. Moses and Aaron hit hardship and they go right to God in prayer. And so that reveals that their worship functionally is somewhere else other than Yahweh. And if that's you today, I just want to exhort you to get off the idolatry treadmill. Idols are like a treadmill that is getting faster and steeper and you will never be able to keep up with it. Idols are just like the slave drivers and taskmasters in this passage. They will make impossible demands on you that you can never meet. Make the same amount of bricks without any straw. You will never be pretty enough, wealthy enough, whatever it is you're looking for. An idol is never satisfied. There is no grace, no forgiveness, no mercy. That's what awaits us or me or anyone who runs after an idol. Slavery, not freedom. Finally, we can respond to God and his promises the way a despondent or a discouraged believer might respond. And we see this with the rest of the people of Israel, sort of the average rank-and-file person in Israel. And in this case, these people have grown hard of hearing or deaf to God and his promises. Their suffering and their plight is so loud that it's hard for them to hear God. And it's hard for them to hear his promises. We see this in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit 
and harsh slavery. If you're here today and that's you, I just want to say I am so glad that you are here. The fact that you are here, I think, is a sign that God hasn't given up on you yet and that he's at work. Coming here, gathering with the body, is a great place to be reminded of who God is and to hear his promises. And so I want to encourage you, as hard as it is, to keep coming. Don't disconnect yourself from the body. Don't disconnect yourself from God and his promises, even though it can be so hard to hear because of the suffering. Keep coming. Keep hearing. I also would encourage you to go back to Ben's sermon on June 19th about preaching to ourselves. That even in that hardship, we need to be preaching the gospel and God's promises and word to ourselves, even in those hard moments. And it's hard. It's really hard. But we need to remind ourselves of who God is and what he has said. We need to remind ourselves of passages like Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now that takes us to number three, the number three question. Why does God keep his promises? Because of who he is. He is Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to come. God keeps his promises because he's God. Because of who he is. Because of his nature. When God responds to Moses' cry, he reminds him multiple times simply of who he is. Look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. And verse 29, verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Then in verse 29, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. And then if we go to the New Testament, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, we read about something God can't do. Did you realize that? There are things God can't do. And that just makes him all the more praiseworthy because he can't sin, he can't lie. It's a good thing he can't do those things. That just shows how praiseworthy he is. So we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Church, when God makes a promise, he will keep that promise. It would be impossible for him to break his word, to break his promise because of who he is. If you would know God, you would know that he keeps every one of his promises, that he is faithful from generation to generation to generation. It'd be like if you knew my wife, if you knew Kimberly, and who she is, you would know that if you offered her a cookie or liver and onions, she'd pick the cookie every time. She's told me that she doesn't just have a sweet tooth, she has a sweet mouth. 
If you knew who she is, you would know that she likes a cookie. You would know that about her. In a similar way, if you know God, you would know that he always keeps his promises. He cannot deny himself. He will always be faithful, even when we are faithless. God keeps his word, and he keeps his promises. And God keeps his promises. And just listen, I'm repeating this. That's important. He keeps his promises because of who he is, not because of who we are. Because he is great, not because we're great. And I think one reason and one way we see that is because of the genealogy in Exodus chapter 6. If you read this section on your own, you would probably be like me and you'd get to this genealogy and think, why is this here? Where did this come from? You're reading the story and suddenly, boom, a genealogy about Moses and Aaron. I think there are actually a couple reasons why this genealogy is here. One, I think it shows to the readers and Israel that Moses really is an Israelite. Remember Moses' story. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. And then he left and he went out into the desert. And he came back saying he met the God of the Hebrews. If you were an Israelite, you might be skeptical. Who is this Moses guy? Is he really a Jew? Is he really an Israelite? And that genealogy shows that, yes, he really is. And second, and more important, this genealogy shows how God is faithful throughout generations and that he is faithful not because we are great, but because he is. Moses does not come from a great family. In fact, Moses has a very embarrassing family background. Look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. So the man who would write in God's law that you shouldn't marry your relative, his dad did that. That's embarrassing. And what that shows is that God is faithful and keeps his promises because God is great, not because of us. One commentator captured this well. He writes, So the making of this same Moses and Aaron as well as the uses they were put to after they were made, was totally the work of God. There was nothing left for them to claim or boast about in their pedigree. God keeps his promises because God is great. And so church, I want to encourage you and exhort you to run after God, to know God. Not just know lots of facts about him, but actually know him intimately, personally. If you know God, you will know that he is faithful from age to age. And so I want to encourage you, think of someone in Calgary, someone who's a believer and has walked with the Lord longer than you, and ask that person, has God been faithful? Can you tell me about God's faithfulness to you? And I'm sure they will. 
There are a number of people here who God has been so faithful to over the years, from age to age. God is faithful. And so talk with those believers who have learned to hold God to his promises, who have seen God make good on his word time and time again. So we've seen those three questions. Number one, what has God promised? He's promised that he will be our God and we will be his people. We've also seen the different ways we can respond. And that, of course, the right response is to cling to God and his promises. And then we just saw why God keeps his promises. Because of who he is. He is a God of covenant faithfulness who always keeps his word. Church, God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his people. Remember Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The good news of the gospel is that we can know God as our Redeemer instead of as our Judge. Through Jesus, God will bring us out from under the burden of our sin. And on the cross, Jesus was broken, so none of God's promises would be. Every promise of God is yes and amen. And why is that? Because of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Church, God is faithful. He will keep his promises to his blood-bought people. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for who you are and your precious promises. Remind us that the good work you began in us, you will bring to completion. Help us to cling to you and your promises, even when life is hard. Remind us that we are your people, and one day you will dwell with us, and we will be your people, and you will be with us as our God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.